I can't seem to do anything right. So then this catastrophic thinking patterns come in to actually end my life. The inner demons inside were so great that the ending of life seemed like the lesser evil. That whole time, I was just pretending that I was fine to everyone around me. And I could finally drop the mask and just let Jay know, you know, darling, I'm not coping. I can't breastfeed. I am failing in every aspect of my life here. And you deserve better than that. Clara deserves better than that. And I've come home to write a letter to you and her because the only way out of this is for me to end my life. And the look on his face, Leonie, it just broke him. Hello, and welcome to Mum Life, a podcast for ambitious mums navigating the sweet and messy journey of motherhood. I'm Leonie Akidanor, and each week I will bring you conversations with mums and parenting experts about the highs and lows of motherhood and tips to make our lives that little bit easier. Hi everyone, I'm so excited to bring you this episode today. I'm chatting with my friend Chelsea Pottinger about her experience with severe postnatal depression. We laughed, we cried, and frankly, I've heard her story a number of times as she's now a keynote speaker, but still, every time I hear it, it's just so powerful. Before we jump into the episode, I wanted to give you a quick mum life update on what's been happening in my world. I've spent the last week wiping snotty noses, rubbing Vicks Vaporub on bodies, refilling vaporizers, continuously rescheduling work and plans because my two little cherubs are sick. Thank you, childcare. This may sound ridiculous, but it's actually the first time Noah, my oldest, has ever been this sick. He only just started childcare and I knew this was coming, but it's certainly pretty rough when you actually experience it. Each week, I want to give you a win and a lesson around my experiences as mum. So this week, my win would be that although everyone in my family is sick, uh, children, husband, everyone, I have managed to escape unscathed so far anyway. The lesson, my control freak tendencies were massively challenged by not knowing when my kids would be well enough so that we could resume normal life again. The unpredictability of it all has just been eating at me, but it's such a great lesson in acceptance. I feel the word acceptance pretty much sums up mum life in general. Okay, so that's enough about me. As I mentioned to you, I'm joined by my friend Chelsea. Chelsea discusses her experiences with severe postnatal depression following the birth of her daughter. She tells her story with immense bravery and has really come to a place of such resolve around this experience. What I love about her journey is that it's such a powerful example of how through great adversity, you can transform yourself and your life. Chelsea is now the founder and director of EQ Minds, which is a company that provides services to corporates around mental health for employees. She's also an ambassador for Are You OK? and the Gidget Foundation. The Gidget Foundation supports women experiencing pre and postnatal depression. Gidget was actually the nickname of a young mother who tragically took her own life while suffering from postnatal depression. I should mention that this episode comes with a trigger warning as we discuss some pretty heavy topics, including suicide. I hope by listening to this conversation, you'll be more aware of the signs and symptoms of postnatal depression and are better equipped with tools to handle this if this is something you're facing or others in your life may be facing. Let's cut to the conversation. 
Hi, Chelsea. Welcome to the podcast. We're really excited to have you here with us today. Thanks, Leonie. I'm so thrilled. It's such an honour to be here with you as well. So really looking forward to sort of hearing about your journey as a mother and particularly the early stages of motherhood. But for a bit of context, tell us a little bit about who you were and what you did with your life before you did have your baby. Yeah, so before we had Clara, I was living in Rose Bay in Sydney and worked for a big healthcare company. So I would do pretty long hours and I actually really enjoyed my job though. So I did long, long days and then I would go socialising at night time with friends and with my partner and then on the weekends I would do the same, I'd go out and in the eastern suburbs of Sydney everything was kind of quiet. You did things to extremes I found, like so I worked really hard, I worked out hard so I was always exercising every day and then I partied hard. So this is combination of in your 20s, this is kind of how life is. And that was kind of a good wrap up of how I used to live and and had a really good time, to be honest. Mm, and mm. I didn't realise probably that I was going a bit too hard in all of those elements without noticing it at the time. Mm. And so did you always want to have a family? How did that conversation sort of come about, particularly with your, you know, career focused, socialise, you know, socialising being a big part of your lifestyle? Yeah. Where did the baby sort of fit into all of that? Yeah. So I I was raised as a very independent woman. So my mum raised me to be really independent, stand on my own two feet. And, and so when I was in my early 20s and sort of late 20s, I wasn't super maternal, but in the back of my mind, yes, absolutely, I wanted to have a family. And I had a beautiful husband. He really wanted to have children too. So I, I did eventually want to have children at the right timing. And But I kind of wish we had tried a little bit younger because by the time I started trying to have a baby, we were kind of in our late 20s. And it took us about five years to fall pregnant. And I think that was due to a few things. And I think one of the main reasons why it took us so long was because of my high stress job and probably my lifestyle, to be honest. I probably had a lot of cortisol pumping through my body that I wasn't aware of at the time because no one had really told me any different to that. Where's your head at during that time? That's that's quite a long time to be, you know, month after month feeling like you've, you know, failed in in what you're wanting to achieve in that in in falling pregnant. So where is your head at during that experience? It is a bizarre time, and anyone listening, I you know, I really feel it for you in terms of if you are trying to have a baby and you aren't successful on on the pregnancy test month after month, and your friends around you they're all falling pregnant what's seemingly to be quite easy. You know, some people just say, we just look at each other when we fall pregnant. I'm like, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like on the job every couple of days trying to have a baby here. I'm kind of getting quite exhausted. <laughs> like, come on, come on, let's come on, baby, come along. And yeah, so, and so to be honest, it's a real roller coaster of emotions. And I, then I just kind of got myself busy in life and I just thought, you know what? It's going to happen when it happens. If it doesn't happen, will I be okay with that? I guess I'm going to have to be. So we just kept, I guess, just moved forward going, you know, trying to celebrate as well with as much joy and authentic happiness for our friends who are falling pregnant around us uh, and then just going, this is just our journey. Our journey might be a little bit different to what everyone else's is. 
And so I think you ride this roller coaster of emotions. To say that I was upbeat and optimistic every time I got a negative result on my pregnancy test is couldn't be further from the truth. But with life, you just got to kind of, as they say, you know, just keep on going. And then also we probably, and again, how great is hindsight reflecting back? But I probably would have engaged, you know, some experts earlier if I had my time over again. So mm. it wasn't until kind of in that fifth year that we're like, you know what, maybe it's time we go and get ourselves checked out. We think about going to see an IVF specialist, et cetera. Mm. So I think it's a, a wide range of emotions and everyone's situation is so unique and different and beautiful. Um, but from my personal experience, it was definitely an up and down roller coaster. Mm. And then you finally fall pregnant. What yes. was your pregnancy journey like for you? Well, I was completely elated that we actually had fallen pregnant. And I think, you know, they say, don't tell them at six weeks. I just couldn't help myself. I'm like, oh my gosh. As soon as I peed on the stick, I was telling everyone. And my mum's like, don't do that. You know, what happens if something happens? I'm like, oh, they're my friends. They'll be there. If, you know, if it doesn't go ahead or if I have a miscarriage, I'll tell them anyway. Um, so I was so pumped, Leonie. And I was, I had a beautiful pregnancy. The second trimester, good energy. First trimester, you know, obviously the nausea and pretty sick, but I was just so grateful that I was pregnant, so I just didn't care. And the pregnancy was good. I remember I was pretty underweight when I fell pregnant and my obstetrician said to me, you're going to have to gain about 12 kilos in this pregnancy. And the amount of carbs I ate in that first trimester, I just blew that number out of the ballpark. (laughs) (laughs) By about 16 weeks, she's like, you're really overachieving on this gaining weight. (laughs) And, uh, oh, and then awesome. I think I just blew out by about 20 kilos or something. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. But, again, I didn't care because mm-hmm. I was just so happy and that I was having this really healthy baby. And so the pregnancy was great. Towards the end of it, I was having a, a few little slight hurdles with sleep and starting to feel a little bit of anxiety. I wasn't really aware of what anxiety was, so I was just sort of passing that off as nervous energy. I wasn't sleeping that great. I passed that off as restless leg or just being uncomfortable. I didn't realise it was like the sneaking in of some chemical hormones starting to misbehave. So besides from, you know, the last few weeks of the pregnancy, I I was really uncomfortable, not sleeping very well. Everything was great. And even the birth, to be honest, you know, I know some people have some really traumatic, really tough births. And for us, you know, we had a uh, elective cesarean due to just some neurological things that I've got in my past history for as a in my past sort of medical history. So that was the I guess the safest option for our family was to do that. So in saying that, the elective cesarean was beautiful. It was such a beautiful mm. process. I got to choose my own music. I kind of knew because I used to work in surgical theatres in my previous life. I kind of knew when the baby would come out because I used to be in a lot of obstetrics theatres. So I'm like, okay, in seven minutes I could, you know, you hear the incision, you smell the skin burning, which is really delightful. And then you're like, I've got seven minutes until I meet this baby. And it was just gorgeous. I, I couldn't be happier. And that kind of obviously changed a few days later. Mm, so talk me through that a few days later. How did it change for you? Yeah, so as I was mentioning, you know, the, the birth was beautiful and then I had some issues breastfeeding in those first couple of days. I had a bit of an issue with my cesarean scar and 
and I was on quite heavy medication the first few days. And then around day three, when the milk came in, my neurochemical imbalance, it was like clockwork. So I know everyone feels, you know, a lot of people do feel these day three blues. Mine kind of went to the next level of really dark, dark thoughts. And I had the baby at Prince of Wales private hospital. And after about three days, I'll send you down to this hotel if you want to go down. Then I thought, oh, that sounds great. And you've got to kind of let them know that you're doing okay. And you've got the breastfeeding thing under control. So I was just pretending because I just wanted to get to this hotel and eat a steak and have a glass of champagne. <laughs> and uh, But I really should have stayed, to be honest, reflecting back in the hospital, but not me. I'm like, yeah, I've got it all under control. Mm. And off I went. And Jay was there and Clara, our newborn, was there. So we're in this beautiful hotel room and we're on a, a, quite a high level at the hotel on a big, beautiful balcony. And I thought, imagine if I just jumped off that balcony. I could probably do that. And this was the first insight into these demons starting to appear inside my mind. So this chemical imbalance had happened, this sort of genetic switch had been switched on, and I was completely unaware because I've never suffered kind of mental health up until that point. And so I thought, that's just crazy. Don't you say anything to anyone about that? And then the insomnia started that night and it kicked in severely. Like Clara was sleeping, Jay was sleeping, not me. I was up and I just could not get to sleep. I had such severe anxiety. So you can imagine that kind of catapulting on itself the next day, sleep deprived, trying to get this breastfeeding thing, having these really dark thoughts. And I just kept this mask up. You'll be fine. Don't tell anyone how you're actually feeling. I don't want them to take Clara away from me. That was a huge worry. They're going to take my baby away if they think that I'm crazy. So I won't say anything. Leave the hospital and, you know, friends come over. Hey, you go, oh, I'm great. This is the best experience ever. Meanwhile, I'm looking down at Clara, not really recognizing that she is mine. So it's these weird sort of chemical, again, imbalances and the this sort of rearing of the head of postnatal depression. And when my girlfriends would leave, I'd just burst into tears. And I'd look at the mirror and I'd catch myself going, hey, just hold on and be strong. I don't know what this is, but you're going to be able to get yourself out of it. And I, and I just couldn't. I just couldn't. Every single day got darker. Every single day got worse. And I was really lucky, Leonie. I had my gorgeous mum staying with me. And so she was really good as a distraction those first few weeks too because I'd just cry with her and she'd say, darling, it's normal. It's a part of the postpartum blues. You know, everyone kind of feels like this. And But it just kept going on and on. And then she left. So she went back to Queensland I kept getting worse. The insomnia kept getting worse. The anxiety kind of then tipped to a pretty dark depression. And when that happened, the catalyst for that was a few things. I think one of them was that I just couldn't get the breastfeeding thing done. Like I just couldn't get it. I tried everything. I hired in wet nurses. And I'm not wet nurses. I wish I had a bloody wet nurse. Mm-hmm. I tried I hired in lactation mm-hmm. nurses to try and help me with the feeding. I tried uh, reading about everything. I watched YouTube videos. I like t- being type A, I literally researched every way to get this breastfeeding thing, just could not get the, the hang of it. And then I'm like, oh, I've got to have to put her on, you know, organic uh, formula. Right? So then I got all OCD around what the best organic formula was. And, and that felt like a bit of a failure as well, which is just crazy because it just so isn't, you know, it doesn't matter whether you have a cesarean birth or vaginal birth, your breastfeed, your bottle feed. We really, 
A, we're so critical on ourselves and there just should be no judgment on any other parent around their choices. And But you have such guilt around your own choices. It's just so bizarre. And so the, these kind of guilty, insomniac, anxiety, dark thoughts just kept catapulting. And I went and saw my doctor at six weeks. I'm not sleeping. I'm not feeling that well. She's like, oh, how interesting. And it was a locum that had stepped in and she's like, do you know what you need? You need a sleeping pill to get you a good night's sleep. And I thought, radio, that would be great. And so I left with a sleeping pill. Now, unbeknownst to me at the time, I didn't realise how addictive sleeping pills were, but I thought, man, I just need some sleep. And you'll do anything when you're an insomniac. So I was took a pill and it, it worked. It was beautiful. I had a five-hour block of sleep. I woke up and I'm like, I feel amazing. This is how motherhood is. Oh, this is great. The next night I took a pill, I only had four hours of block. The next night I took, you know, a benzapam, I only had two-hour block. Oh, maybe I should start taking some more. So about week nine I was taking three or four benzos and sleeping one hour a night, right? So I'm like, oh, my gosh, I am such a hot mess right now. Like I am absolutely lost it. And my girlfriend was getting married that week in Scotland and I was one of her bridesmaids and I thought, okay, if I can just run away from my situation and escape from this, from this life and get myself back on track, get some sleep away from the baby, remove myself from the situation, come back from the Scotland trip and be the mum that I'm meant to be. And so Jay wasn't sure about me going to Scotland, but I'd convinced him that I thought it was a really good decision. And so I was going without the baby, without Jay, just with a bunch of girlfriends and on the way to the airport I was driving there and I had a, just a severe panic attack. And anyone listening who suffered anxiety or had panic attacks, they are horrendous. Like that is so scary. Your heart is just racing. I couldn't see. I lost my vision. I had such bad tension all throughout my body and it was really scary. And that was the moment that that severe anxiety had really tipped to a really dark stage of depression to be honest, because I pulled the car over and I was just crying and crying and crying. And I just thought, I can't even get to Scotland. You know, I am such a burden, not just to my husband and to my daughter, but to my mates who are waiting for me over at this wedding. I can't seem to get it. I can't seem to do anything right. So then this catastrophic thinking patterns come in. And then I thought, you know what, the only way to get out of this situation, the only, what I thought at the time was a logical decision was to actually end my life, which is just so frightening. But that was kind of where I was at. I was just the inner demons inside were so great that the ending of life seemed like the lesser evil of the two, right, which is just so sad. It's just so frightening on every level. So I drove the car home and I was so blessed because Jay was at home and I walked in. And I actually was driving home to write a letter to Clara and my husband just to, you know, say goodbye. And and inside my mind as I was driving home, I'd convinced myself that this was the best thing, the best outcome for them. And that is why unless you've stood in the shoes of a suicidal ideation patient, it is exceptionally challenging to understand, you know, in terms of people say that's a really selfish act that they did that. When you're in that position, you're thinking that it's selfless. You're like, you know what? Everyone's going to be so much more grateful that you're not here. And it's just so not true. But when you're so clinically depressed as what I was at the time, those thought thinking patterns are quite common for suicidal patients. So I got home and I'm 
to write the letter and Jay's like, darling, what are you doing? You're, you're not meant to be here. You're meant to be at the airport. And that, you know, are you doing okay? I'm really actually, I'm actually quite worried about you. What is going on with you? And that one question, Leone, you know, that whole are you okay, it really was the catalyst for me to take my mask off and finally tell him the truth because that whole time I was just pretending that I was fine, you know, to everyone around me. And I could finally drop the mask and just let Jay know, you know, darling, I'm not coping. I am absolutely not getting it as a new mum. I can't breastfeed. I am failing in every aspect of my life here. And you deserve better than that. You know, Clara deserves better than that. And I've come home to write a letter to you and her because the only way out of this is for me to end my life. And the look on his face, Leonie, it just broke him. You know, you think about it still makes me really sad because if he wasn't at home, that could have been a very different outcome. And I just, you know, and he just burst into tears and he's like, sweetheart, we love you. You know, Clara loves you. We need you as a mom. I need you as a wife. You know, what you're saying doesn't make any sense. And I think we really need to get professional help. And so that, when he said to me, you know, I think we can get you better. So he made the call, you know, to get me admitted straight into a psychiatric mums and bums unit. And I called my cousin, who's a, who's a beautiful psychiatrist, and she's like, Charles, oh, my gosh. She's like, you have got severe postnatal depression. Why don't you call me sooner? And I said, I didn't, I didn't know what it was. I've never, I didn't even know any information about this kind of stuff. And mm. she's like, I promise you, you will get your old self back. You will absolutely get the old Chelsea back. You're going to love being a mum. We just need to get the experts around you. And that that hope, Leone, was mm. all that I needed. That was it. Mm. Just one person telling me, hey, you're going to recover. And mm. that was the light that I held on to, to go, you know what, I'll fight this. I'll fight. I'll choose life today over death. And it was very significant that whole day for me. Um, mm. So that's kind of where it ended up, <laughs> ending up in a psychiatric mums and bubs unit which is pretty mm. scary. And how long were you there for? And, and then what happened after that? So I was there for five weeks and it's really, it's really interesting when you land yourself in a psychiatric hospital because you think you're completely crazy. And I remember, and it was a mums and bubs unit, amazing. It's at St. John of God in Burwood. So if you're listening and if you ever need to be admitted to a hospital, it is phenomenal. It honestly saved my life. And but I remember when I turned up and I was thinking, am I the craziest person in here? And you start playing this game. You're like, oh, I wonder if anyone's crazier than me in here. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember there's a mum rocking up, right, and I, I'm i looking completely dishevelled myself. But she turns up and she hasn't brushed her hair for about three months and her toenail, mm. nail polish is kind of curling over the end of her toes. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah. she's she could be crazier maybe. And she... <laughs> She comes in and it was the funniest moment and um, I'm in the laundry trying to remember how to wash Clara's clothes and in, in walks this crazy mum and she walks in and she's looking at me and she's like, hey, you. And I'm like, yes, are you talking to me? And she's like, yeah, I'm trying to work out who's crazier out of you and me. And I'm thinking, no and I was way. gobsmacked, right, because I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> first of all, she's playing my game. 
like who's the crazy <laughs> artist. <laughs> and secondly, she hasn't brushed her hair, right, for months. Like she's totally winning the game. Anyway, <laughs> she's like, I know I haven't brushed my hair for a long time, but she's like, you, your maternity jeans, they're in back to front. <laughs> and they were. <laughs> And they were Leone and I just looked down and we just did that. We just both burst into laughter Mm. and then we both burst into tears and then we Mm. both hugged each other and um, and she's like, you wouldn't believe it, but she's like, I am one of Sydney's top barristers and I am in a psychiatric Mm. hospital and I'm like, like, how crazy is this? And Mm. the reason why that hospital stay was so effective is Mm. because you are around people like you right, in a very unfamiliar, you've never been in a situation your whole life and all of a sudden you have these common bonds with these people Mm. and it's like you're in the trenches together and you've all got your war Mm. stories but you surround yourself with this tribe of women and and also dads who then go, we will get through this together. As Mm. abnormal as this is very normal for postnatal depression patients and you watch each other heal over this five-week stay and the beautiful thing is they've got patients in there that have been there for four or five weeks that are saying to you, hey, Chels, I was where you were day one when I got admitted and look at me now. I'm about to get discharged. I'm happy. I've recovered. Mm. So it's a really great system. Um, So five weeks it took me to to fully recover from that Mm. and uh, looking back on it now, like, I still, I still laugh. I still cry. It's, it impacts me so greatly still, but mm. it honestly has been that a tremendous transformation in our life to create the most incredible life for my family, for our mm. business. It's just as strange as it sounds probably to the listeners. I am so grateful I went through that severe adversity because it has taught me so much about my character and it's taught me how I want to live my life moving forward. So talk to me about the transformation and talk to me about what are the things that you would recommend women who are struggling um, should do during that time? Yeah, I think, you know, I'll I'll start with the signs and symptoms because I think that's really, really important. And for me, after going through gut-wrenching PND, perinatal or postnatal anxiety and depression, I I never want anyone else to go through what I went through. And I feel like if I knew what I knew now, I'd be such more aware and empowered with knowledge. And I think it would have been a very, very different experience because I would have picked it up on day three at the hospital. And so would have the clinicians around me because I would have been brave and courageous enough to have that conversation. So I think, you know, with the signs and symptoms to look out for, Things like, obviously, my story, you would have picked up signs and symptoms there in terms of reduced enjoyment or a lot of tears and a lot of crying. Um, Further down into it, I had really issues with anxiety and depression, so they're obviously quite significant symptoms. And then sleep, sleep disturbances. If your baby's sleeping and you're not, that's usually a pretty big red flag. Feelings of helplessness or despair, uh, feelings of being out of control or, you know, unable to rest while the baby's resting. So you've always got this very active mind and you're quite anxious or on Google, you know, why haven't they done a poo today? What, you know, really that kind of anxious behaviour. Uh, if you're having kind of any scary or unwanted thoughts. So for me, some people have it about their their baby, you know, having um, harm towards their children, 
for me it was very self-directed, so this kind of suicidal ideation, frequent feelings of worth, worthlessness, fatigue, you know, loss of energy, cancelling plans. So if you're a good friend out there wanting to know what to look out for for your girlfriends or your um, mates, have they been cancelling on you a lot? Do they, you know, are they kind of just removing themselves from social situations? And then that real harsh self-criticism. I'm just not getting it as a mum, you know, these kinds of conversations. So I think they're really good signs and, and symptoms to look out for. And obviously if you're having any kind of recurrent you know, dark thoughts about yourself. I think that's a, that's, you know, that that's very further down the track. So, you know, I think it's just, it's really important, right, to be educated. Um, the Gidget Foundation is excellent for that. And I really wish I knew about them before I went down my journey. I'm now an ambassador for them and a very proud one. But I think, you know, before you have the baby, reach out, right, to the Gidget Foundation, get resources around you. You may not have a genetic predisposition to anxiety and depression, but it could be a traumatic birthing experience that tips you, right? So then your partners are researched and resourced and they can know what to look out for as well. So they're the signs and symptoms to kind of be mindful of. And if you need more information on that, definitely head to the Gidget Foundation website. And maybe, Leonie, I don't know if you can pop that in the show notes. That would be brilliant. Yeah. And then the transformation that's happened really has been around the experience has really given me a gift because when I left that hospital unit one, my psycholo- my psychiatrist at the time said to me, Chelsea, you'd be a beautiful psychologist. And I thought, okay, I'll go back to uni and I'll re-educate myself. So I'm at uni studying psychology. So that was a great insight that we do have a bit of a joke in psychology actually to, to, to go and see a psychologist Usually they've actually, or to become a psychologist, you've usually seen one yourself. So a lot of psychologists actually have had an experience. So they, that's yes. why they become so passionate or mm. really curious-minded about this kind of work. Mm. And then I reassessed everything about my life. How do I want to feel in the future? I want to feel calm. I want to feel inner harmony. I want to feel happiness. I want to feel low anxiety. I want to feel very connected with my family and with the environment. And so that was the move, you know, from Rose Bay to Sydney to Gerringong. So we're down south two and a half hours on a little country beach town here. So that too, that was a huge transformation. And then three, we've built a whole company based on being a refuge almost for mental health and mental health awareness and empowering and educating people to take care of themselves. And the business has just absolutely boomed since 2016 and I feel very blessed, you know, that that's my whole passion now is to really help people to take care of their mental health and well-being. So if you do ever go through an adversity of any description, it doesn't have to be as severe as postnatal, it could be something like you lose your job or it could be something like you go through a divorce, which is all very traumatic as well for the individual but there could be something amazing that comes from those experiences, even though at the time we can't really see it sometimes. Mm. Oh, absolutely. How can people find out more about you and, and your work? I think the best thing to do is actually just go to our Instagram. That's where they're most active. It's at EQ Minds. And we do a lot of mental health tips and tools up there. We do a lot of corporate speaking. I do about 10 to 15 events a week on the used to be the keynote stage, but with COVID here, we do that as virtual Zoom sessions and they're with mm-hmm. the 
top Fortune 500 companies globally. So that's a blessing. Um, but if you go to EQ Minds, you'll find so much about us there, our free meditations, our courses, what we do on the keynote stage. So definitely I'd love you to join our community uh, if you, yeah. I'll certainly pop that in the episode notes as well. Charles, as your friend, I think I'm just like so incredibly proud of you and the work that you do and, you know, how much you give back to, to, to everyone and particularly us young mums. So keep doing what you're doing. Um, it's an absolute honour always to have a chat with you. So thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me and thanks for letting us share our story. So even it just impacts one person, I think then that is an amazing thing. Absolutely. Thanks again. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave us a review and give us five stars if you're feeling fancy. By subscribing to the podcast, every new episode will drop into your podcast library each week. Subscribing is also such an essential way for people to find us and to enable us to grow. Want to be part of the Mum Life community? Join our Facebook group and follow us on Instagram at Mum Life Podcast. Until next time, keep living your best mum life.